moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today's topic is building successful startup technical teams. So this is a first of its kind episode, and it's going to be packed with a ton of great learning. Some of the things that we're going to cover in the show, we're going to talk about why product team collaboration is critical to startup technical team success. We're going to learn how an architectural mindset is also going to be critical for startup technical team success. And then last but certainly not least, why speed to market from a product perspective is critical for success. So there are a lot of success factors that we're going to talk about in this conversation. And to guide us through this conversation and this journey, we have Vigi Venelacanti joining us on the show. So welcome to the show, Vigi. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. So we've known each other for quite a long time. It's great having you on the show. And we were uh, we we're talking through a number of different things that we could do in terms of the type of show that we're going to put on. And obviously, we landed on this topic, which is going to be, I think, highly impactful for a number of organizations. And interestingly, you'll probably fall in line with a number of startup founder shows that we've actually recorded and released when this actually gets out. So it's going to be impactful for them. But before we get into the meat of the discussion, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and get the audience up to speed on your background, your history, the key things that kind of got you in this space as far as the topic discussion is concerned. So I am the VP of engineering at VoiceOps. VoiceOps is startup that's in the contact center space. What we do is help contact center coaches help train and coach their contact center representatives based on the call recordings that are happening as these representatives make calls. And we analyze these calls and then find coaching opportunities for these coaches to actually help prep improve on their jobs. This is a high turnover industry. And so our product is really key for contact centers to retain and train good representatives. So I've been in this role for almost a year now. And prior to this, I've worked with several startups, mostly in the computer vision, machine learning space, and that's for about eight years. And prior to that, I was the director of engineering at Rotary International in the Chicagoland area. Just for background, that's actually when we met. But what's interesting about your career trajectory and journey from an outsider's perspective, me observing through the years, is that you've had this really strong vein of corporate social responsibility in terms of the type of organizations that you joined. Was that intentional or was that just something that happened? Uh, absolutely intentional. So if it does not meet some of these our corporate social responsibility initiatives, or if they don't have the mindset, then I'm not so keen on those roles. I'm specifically interested in tech for social good. So if there are a way to improve people's lives, then that's something even in this current role, even though it's a for-profit startup, but these reps are typically mostly women. They are not highly educated. 
and mostly single breadwinners for their families. So the more you can keep them on the jobs and the more they can train and climb up their careers, then that's excellent for them. That's awesome. And I'm glad that you're intentional about it. And the reason why I bring it up is that uh, for folks that know me, I've always been a mission, vision, values guy. And I've actually evaluated my join or leave decisions in the organizations based on that criteria. So it's good to have that as part of the mentality when you're actually navigating your career journey. So I think that's an important takeaway. And we haven't even gotten into the main part of the conversation. In your current role in the current product, I'm aware of other products that are in the marketplace that do similar things. In the interest of getting the audience in the loop, what makes the product that you're developing and designing and releasing, what makes it unique and how does it stand out from from a features, benefits, impact perspective? So actually, we are building a brand new product in this space. We already have an existing product and we're building a brand new one. And the key thing about it is going to be simplicity. There are a lot of products in this space and the marketplace is pretty crowded, but it's surprising how complicated they are to use. And uh, many companies we have heard have spent years setting these up, which is surprising and very frustrating for our customers. So yeah, we hope to make a difference there. It's interesting that you're leading into the marketplace with simplicity. One of the things that I'm wondering is when you factor that in with the overall demographic trends of most employees and most managers wanting access anywhere, access on demand, how does this product answer that need, especially when you pointed out that there are other competitors that take years to set up. And I know that for a lot of organizations, taking years for technology implementation is just a non-starter. More than access anywhere, the thing that has changed really in this landscape is work from home. So a lot of these representatives today no longer go into a call center to actually make calls or to receive calls. They are all working remotely from different parts of the world. So that's what has changed significantly in the last few years. And the product that we are building has to be intuitive enough for anybody to be able to use, for their managers and coaches to be able to use, and for the reps themselves to be able to identify opportunities for growth. That's a big deal. If it's architected in a way for it to be global and distributed and still have actionable insights and coaching available regardless of geography, that's pretty important. We have a good understanding of where you are now, but you didn't you know, join the world in this space. So tell us a little bit about the backstory. How did you get to where you are and what were those formative or foundational experiences that shaped you into who you became? I had worked with Rotary International in the Chicagoland area for about 15 years. I started off as a systems engineer in an ERP product called PeopleSoft, which was since then bought by Oracle. So that was a financial product. And the next 15 years, I literally Every few years, I grew up the ladder. And when I left about eight years ago, I was the director of IT. I had to leave that job, not because I wanted to, but because I had to move back to India to take care of my mom, who was battling cancer at that time. And I wanted to be with her. So the whole family relocated to India. And at that point, there was I was at a crossroads with regards to my career. I wanted to be spend time with her and at the same time, make sure that I didn't give up on my career. So I took some time off to take advantage of Coursera and a number of online tools that were just becoming popular around then. So I did my 
because I've always been interested in math. I went back to the basics and did a number of courses in uh, data science, machine learning, and then deep learning. And that's when I started to venture into this whole new space, which was then later became computer vision and AI. But it started off with the basics of math that I learned through Khan Academy, revisited a lot of it, and through Coursera. I want to dig a little bit into sort of the distinct sort of transitions that you had there. Early on in your career, you were part of Rotary, and you navigated the career trajectory there. One thing that I'm curious about, when you look back to how you navigated your career trajectory at Rotary and the influence of being an immigrant and kind of some of the, I don't know, training or coaching or indoctrination, however you want to look at it, that we got from our parents as children of immigrants, how did that shape your career journey and intentionality during your Rotary time? And the second part of this is, how did that change? when you had to go back to India and take stock of what is the next segment of my career look like and how do I want to own that? Give us a sense for the difference between the two. Significant difference. So the first part of my journey, because I was in a larger organization and a pretty set path in terms of what the kind of the next step, I could always see somebody else who was in my role, like in the role I was going to step into. So in a way, I had a sense of what that role would be and how to probably get there. Of course, that was also the time when there was a lot of like personal stuff going on. I had my kids and a lot of just change, life-changing events during that period. And so there were times when I was just like, just be glad to be working and just be there, just spend the eight, nine hours at work and then go back home. Interestingly, I was on maternity leave with my second child when my boss called me up and offered me like the director role. So he wanted me back and I was back at work in six weeks part time and very quickly like full time and had to take on a much larger responsibilities. But even then, that was to me a very kind of set path. It was like clear what the next steps were going to be in many ways. Moving to India was like completely no man's land for me. I hadn't worked in India ever. Like I was like completely, I just didn't know what I was going to be doing. I knew I couldn't go back into the corporate world in India, the amount of travel and all that. I just couldn't take it. I wanted to be with my mom and my kids were going through a lot of transition at the same time. So the whole family was transitioning plus mom. So at that point, it was completely unknown. And I didn't even know AI was an Machine learning, although today it's a buzzword, at that point it was just emerging. I didn't know if I would be able to take a step in that direction. I hadn't been doing active coding for a long time. So whether what it would take to actually building a career in this. So at that point, I had to do anything and everything, tried many things. Some of them were successful, some weren't. But that's how it was like trying to figure it all out in the dark. That's an interesting contrast because on the one hand, you have the safety of knowing what a path within a corporate world, barring all other things being equal, would look like. So you have safety and security in terms of, okay, here's what the next step looks like and I just need to do this and get there. And then you have this... And a lot of people more recently experienced a similar version of this with the pandemic, where you had something happen in your life that reshifted your priorities. And it sounds like you started thinking about, okay, how do I stack rank what's important and where do I want to be? And that started reorienting where you're at. And I think one of the things that I take from your explanation is 
you're glossing over all the stuff that happened really quickly, like it was no big deal, but you just referenced it that big data was like nobody even knew at that time. And I remember because this was like bleeding edge. AI was bleeding edge at the time. And you talked about Coursera and Khan Academy and all of those things. Those were stuff that was so new. And we don't even think about it now as if it's like there's all sorts of these sort of resources out there where you can get yourself up to speed. So you're reinventing your career on the fly, navigating some personal challenges and the situation with your mom and relocating your family and relying on infrastructure that hasn't been built out from a technical perspective. And you're learning on the fly and figuring it out. And the reason why I call that out is there's a lesson there for people that are thinking about what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? Because I would argue that it's easier to do that now, a lot easier to do that now. So if people are are at those sort of crossroads right now, what advice would you give them in successfully navigating it? Because I know that there are probably people that are sitting there saying, how do I pull this off? So what's the mindset advice that you can share with them that's going to help them get over the bridge like you did? Some of it, you had no choice. There was some intentionality there too. I'm glad you caught on that question because actually you won't believe it, but I had to do a course called learning how to learn because once you've been in a in a career for 15 years, you forget how it is to sit in front of a laptop for like several hours a day and learn something entirely new. It's very difficult to do it. And most people just give up. So I had to do this course. It's an excellent course in Coursera. I highly recommend it. There's a lot to be learned in terms of how to actually get things done. And a lot about active learning, passive learning techniques, how to mix and match your learning with the learning styles, all of that. So I had to do that course and I took a lot away from that course. Another thing I learned very early on is you can do one course at a time. Many times people start off with many different courses at the same time and just can't get anything done. And I also learned that you actually have to pay for the course because that actually makes you complete the course and get the certification, go through all the exercises and not just like passively watch the videos, but do the exercises and you know, take an active interest in your learning process. So I've done about 15 to 20 courses on Coursera. So there's a lot of learning that's gone into it to actually. And at one point for about a year, I was also a mentor on one of Coursera's deep learning, deep learning specialized one of the courses as a mentor, helping others get through that course. So I participate in the discussion forums. If possible, find a buddy. I tried very hard. I just couldn't find one. But if you can have a buddy, then it helps you a lot to actually get through things and get done. But learning is key. And unlike in the old days, I think it's all the more important now that throughout your career, you've got to learn, especially in the technology space. You may not be coding all the time, but you do have to be learning new technologies. And it's not just like a a cursory understanding of it. You need to get into the deep nuts and bolts. And for that, you do have to sit down and do those courses. That is, that's some really good stuff. I wouldn't even couch it in terms of if you want to be successful in technology. I think if you want to be successful in anything, you need to be a perpetual student in whatever it is that you're trying to excel at or even achieve competence at. That's an important distinction. But to your, when you mentioned how to learn, I would have never guessed that you had to go through that because I've known you since your rotary days. And 
they were pretty cutting edge at that time for a not-for-profit in terms of the type of stuff that you're working on, unless you had told me right now, which you just did, I would have never guessed that you had to practice or think on how to be innovative. And the lens that I look at is the way that I've known you, you've always had an innovation bent. At Rotary, you were doing that. And then when you started doing the different startup roles, I was like, wow, this is really innovative. I would have never guessed that you had to like learn how to learn. So I think one of the things that, that came to mind when you mentioned that book, that course. So within my teams, I'm like a total crazy person when it comes to, hey, you got to test stuff. You have to try stuff. You have to deliberately figure out how to break things and fail and do all of that. And people look at me like I have nine heads, maybe leveraging a course like how to learn probably builds that innovation muscle. What impact did that class have on your overall innovation bent? That course actually taught me how to learn. So that's so important. And that actually got me into this whole space. So there was a, like when I did Andrew's machine learning course and I had to go through the exercises and then later I did the computer vision course. I actually had to code hands-on. So I did, I worked at a couple of startups where I did the coding myself, did it so that I understand how, what it takes to a prototype at least hands-on and then see what works, what doesn't work, what are the challenges working with cloud technology, all of that. And then I, that's how I started to take the baby steps towards, again, going into more of a leadership role. So I didn't just transition from a leadership role at Rotary to a leadership role at a startup. I started off at the basics and climbed my way back up again. Even in that, there's an important lesson because a lot of people think that their trajectory in terms of their professional career is a straight line. And then you just keep climbing that way. Sometimes you have to take a lateral move or a backwards move to get the bigger goal that you're achieving. So thanks for sharing all of that background, because I think it, uh, it provides some great context and it gives a great springboard into talking about your wheelhouse, which is the startup world and actually building successful technical teams within a startup environment. For those that aren't familiar with a startup environment, and especially from a technical landscape perspective, what are the things that they need to be aware of in terms of the reality, the situation on the ground in a startup technical environment that doesn't exist in a more mature organization or more mature technical environment? The first thing is actually your teams are pretty global. It's it's amazing how many startups today are have entirely like global teams. I've worked with startups with where no two engineers were from the same country. They were spread all over Europe. I've worked with startups where the one part of the team was in China, another in Europe, another in the US. So it was like literally around the time, following all the time zones. Working with global teams has its own, it's extremely interesting. You get to meet people from different cultures, different backgrounds, see how they work and also, your only view into their world is through a Zoom call, Google call. So it's a very, li very limited view of their world. And yet you have to work together as a team. So that's challenging and interesting in its own way. That's the first thing. And then the other thing with startups, unlike large organizations, is when you typically in large organizations plan for a year and you have budgets for a year and then you start to work through your projects. In the startup world, things change very frequently. So agile is, you have to be living, breathing agile to make things work. And it's almost no point talking too far down the road. I think there are like general guiding principles that you can follow, 
but too much of road mapping is almost useless. Tell me a little bit more about why it's not a good idea to think too far ahead in a startup technical environment. What's the basis for that sort of mindset? There are two things that change dramatically when it comes to startups. One is your your competitive landscape is changing very quickly. There's like competition that's coming out with new products all the time and you have to keep un- understanding what they're building and what they're coming out with and how you fit in the marketplace. So that's really important. And the second is the technology landscape is also changing very quickly. This goes to the one of the important points in a startup is you're not trying to build everything yourself. You're trying to use services and code or mostly services infrastructure from anywhere and anything that you can lay your hands on so that you can get your product out to the market as quickly as possible. And services that did not exist even like a few months ago become available now. So it's really important that you adapt quickly to that changing landscape and are able to take advantage of services or other like open source code that is out there that you can take advantage of. And that will help you build a product much faster, much smarter, and get it out into the marketplace. Those are significantly different. You actually went a couple of directions that I hadn't considered. I I was thinking, hey, the need for focusing on near-term stuff is actually driven by funding, because if your funding dries up, what happens to your roadmap? But you mentioned a couple of other things that wasn't even on my radar. I learned a couple more things to add to the list. That gives us a good understanding of what a startup technical landscape looks like. When you take that into consideration, what have you seen or where have you seen startup technical teams go wrong? Where do things start going sideways? Tune in next time for the answer to this question as well as the rest of the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.